Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this year's program, I hope you guys had a great weekend. I enjoyed watching the Atlanta Braves beat the Mets on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, inside story here, um, our finance director for the show is an unrepentant, obnoxious Braves fan, a Mets fan. So, when we're watching footballs on Sunday nights and the Mets are playing, he'll bring his iPad over and sit on the porch and watch the Mets while the rest of us are watching football. So, we we made sure on Saturday and Sunday to all sit there and watch the Braves. <laughs> he He left after the game. All right, we have to move on to big news. So uh, there is a housekeeping matter that we have to attend to first. Um, I'm not sure if you have heard. In Florida, they are struggling to keep up with demand for supplies. Uh, things such as bottled water are running slow, uh, running low. They're, they're slow to get new supplies of bottled water and the like. Uh, and this is just a demand issue and a lack of supply issue. Uh, my flagship station, WSB Radio out of Atlanta, is organizing a convoy of care. Uh, you can drop supplies off at WSB's office. Also, um, Six Flags Over Jesus up in Woodstock. That's the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, I should say. <laughs> uh, you could, you could, I'm surprised that place doesn't have roller coasters. It's a massive, the, y'all, it is a massive, massive church. Wonderful people there. I love the pastor. Uh, there dearly, and several of the people on, on his staff, they're just wonderful pastorate. Um, but you can drop off supplies. If you're in North Georgia, uh, you can head down to, to First Baptist Woodstock, drop stuff off today. If you want to donate uh, to this, essentially they fill up 18-wheelers with all the supplies the rescuers need, and they haul them down 75 to Florida uh, to where they need to go to the logistics places for the rescue You and, and the, the, the relief operations. You can text the word DONATE to 33777, text DONATE to 33777. I will send you back the link, give you the details of addresses. If you wanna make a monetary donation, uh, there's a link there. Just text DONATE to 33777. Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, down in Florida has been getting berated by reporters for local officials' decisions. I wanna get into that a little bit later, but I, I just, I gotta, I gotta start off with something. Um, DeSantis, got grilled by a reporter about why uh, Lee County, which is um, Fort Myers, only issued an evacuation order 24 hours before the storm hit. And uh, DeSantis's point was even the reporters 48 hours in advance thought the storm was going to Tampa. Uh, they didn't know the storm was going to tilt until the last 24 hours and they had enough time for people to get into shelters, but they're trying to turn it into a political issue here. This is a storm, um, and, and the storms are unpredictable. It was local officials who get to make the call, and they made the call as best they could. And one of the things that uh, people have to understand is in these sorts of situations, if you make a call and it turns out to be the wrong call, then your people who have to listen to you may not listen to the next one. Um, this happened, it was Hurricane Floyd and there was another hurricane. I cannot remember the, the order, but um, 
in the east coast of Florida, Amelia Island, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, up to Savannah in Georgia. Uh, there was a massive evacuation because of a hurricane. The hurricane actually wound up going further north. It didn't impact them. And then the next hurricane that came along a few weeks later, people were like, ah, they're going to get it wrong again, and, and the hurricane hit. Thankfully, it wasn't a super strong hurricane, but this is part of the problem that uh, we, 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 we run into here. Um, so trying to turn it into a political point, it's just, it's, it's sad, it's pathetic, but it's what the media does when it comes to Ron DeSantis. They can't just take him for what he's doing. Now, we'll get back into this later, we, but their actual big story of the day is something else entirely. The United States Supreme Court is convening. Katanji Brown Jackson is on the court now, and the media is all enraptured by having Katanji Brown Jackson involved in the United States Supreme Court. What is remarkable is just how big the biases are in the press. Um, Ariane DeVogue is embarrassing herself at CNN. This is, this is one of her tweets from September 13th. Kagan, again, describes what she thinks is important for the legitimacy of the court. Respect precedent. Stay faithful to methodology. Move incrementally. Unlike other justices, she's not afraid to speak out at a time when approval ratings have plummeted. This is how Ariane DeVogue of CNN, covering the Supreme Court, formerly of ABC News, covers Elena Kagan. Comfortably smug on Twitter highlights her discrepancies. This is how she covers Sam Alito. Sam Alito inserts himself directly into the ongoing controversy over the court's legitimacy by providing a statement to the Wall Street Journal that pushes that appears to push back on comments made by Elena Kagan over the summer. Um, they've got a bias. They've got an axe to grind. And then this is her fawning story over Katanji Brown Jackson. We see you and we are with you. Justice Jackson says she is humbled by reactions since her appointment to the court. She's also fawning over socks. Ariana DeVogue, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson was formally sworn in Friday with her family in the audience here with a first look at the socks. Her husband, Dr. Patrick Jackson, wore. And they are Justice Katanji Brown Jackson socks. Consider how these people covered Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh. She's got smiling emoji emojis covering liberal justices. Scowls raging in Twitter when a conservative justice is picked. Now, the larger issue here, of course, is that the Supreme Court is back at work today. And so there are all sorts of stories out there melting down about the court. The New York Times has its full-throated editorial board editor, editorial piece, and they're all upset about the Supreme Court read turning and daring to become a voice of the right. 
For most of the court's history, it was difficult to predict how a case would turn out based on the party of the president who nominated the justices, even into the 21st century. As the country grew more polarized, the court's rulings remained largely in line with the views of the average American voter. That's no longer the case. The court's rulings are now in line with the views of the average Republican voter. In the process, the court has unmoored itself from both the Constitution and is sworn to protect and the American people it is privileged to serve. This could not be happening at a worse moment. Election deniers in the Republican Party are undermining the integrity of the American electoral system. Right-wing political violence is a present and growing threat. Pay no attention to the mass assassination attempt of Republicans in Congress by a New York Times reader. I don't know that he actually was a New York Times reader. Actually, he was a, a Rachel Maddow, James Hodgkins was a Rachel Maddow, Bernie Sanders fan. But nonetheless, you get the point here. They were fine. The, they were fine when the court was in line with the average New York Times reader. They don't like it that the court has shifted to the right. They're transactional here, and, and this is this is why all the belly aching and hand wringing is out today. As the court comes back, there are articles everywhere. The Washington Post is upset. The New York Times is upset. Uh, CNN is upset. MSNBC is upset. Everybody's upset because the left no longer controls the United States Supreme Court. And what they're essentially begging the court to do is now is please be cautious. Please, please move really slow undoing the liberal state. My favorite, though, is this guy, Mark Joseph Stern. Mark Joseph Stern is this nut job who writes for Slate, who despises uh, conservatives and willfully tries to mischaracterize things the Supreme Court does uh, to, to get everybody on the left all worked up. Listen, listen to part of this. Kiara Bridges remembers the exact moment she lost faith in the Supreme Court. At first, at the start of Donald Trump's presidency, Bridges a professor who now teaches at UC Berkeley School of Law, held out hope that the court might be this great protector of individual civil liberties right when we desperately needed it. Then came 2018. That June, the justices issued Trump versus Hawaii, which upheld the president's entry ban for citizens of eight countries, six of them Muslim majority. Suddenly, Bridges told me, she realized the court's not going to save us. It's going to let Trump do whatever he wants to do, and it's going to help him get away with it. Four years later, the justices completely shattered whatever remaining optimism Bridges could muster about the court by overruling Roe v. Wade and Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health. When the decision came down on June 24th, she got a migraine for the first time in decades. The image of the court as a majestic guardian of liberty was, she concluded, a complete lie! Lies! And it wasn't just about her personal feelings. Now she had to teach her students about the work of an institution that made her sick to contemplate. Bridges is not alone. At law schools across the country, thousands of professors of constitutional law. Oh, I'm so upset by this. They're currently having to face a court that, in their view, has let the mask of neutrality fall off completely. Six conservative justices are steering the court head on into the most... 
controversial debates of the day and consistently siding with the Republican Party. Increasingly, the conservative majority doesn't even bother providing reasoning for its decisions exploiting the shadow docket. The crisis reached its zenith between September 21 and June of 22 when the Supreme Court let Texas impose its vigilante abortion ban through the shadow docket then abolished a 50-year-old right to bodily autonomy by ruling over Roe v. Wade. Now law professors are faced with a quandary. How? Why should you teach law to students? while the Supreme Court openly changes the meaning of the Constitution to align with the GOP? Like Bridges, Serena Mayeri, a professor at University of Pennsylvania, Cary Law School, traces her recent disillusionment to Trump via Hawaii. The fact that Kavanaugh's predecessor, Justice Kennedy, sided with Trump, left me deeply shaken Mayari said it was weeks before I could bring myself to read the opinion in full. Oh my gosh. I mean, you should read the whole time. I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope that um, this is in the, I, I think it's in the, it should be in the show notes. This is just fantastic. I mean, it is just the greatest piece that's ever been written. We should scroll to the bottom here. We should get to the end. If left-leaning law professors do not quit in mass or embrace torpid nihilism, it will be because their students give them a reason to keep returning to the classroom. For those reaching the end of their career, though the idea of rejiggering established syllabuses, syllabi, by the way, to teach the work product of this court may be too much to bear. My father, Nat Stern, retired from a 41-year career at Florida State University College of Law in May. He loved his job. His students voted him Professor of the Year. So many times he stopped counting. I was surprised when he stepped down. When I asked why he decided to retire, he told me he had no desire to explain the Supreme Court's conservative revolution as the product of law and reason rather than politics and power. What's actually happening here, on a serious note, is that transactionally the left has gotten everything it's wanted by and large from the Supreme Court over the last 50 years. And suddenly, because Republicans have won elections and have slowly over time through a Democratic effort to win elections, won those elections and shifted the Senate and got Republican presidents elected, the right has been able to over 50 years shift the Supreme Court. And progressive law professors who were able to teach their views on the Constitution, whether it's what the founders intended or not, are no longer able to teach their views. They must teach the views of a Supreme Court they hate. And so transactionally, they now believe it's illegitimate, not because it is illegitimate, but because their side has now been delegitimized by the current Supreme Court, and they can't handle losing. What's important to understand is they only lost the Supreme Court because they lost a whole host of elections over time, allowing Republicans to change the court. So winter is coming, and I got to tell you, I love the weight of the bull and branch sheets. I like them in the summer when it's hot and you don't want a lot of covers on you. But in the wintertime, they're just the perfect weight, the perfect, I don't know, smoothness. They're 100% organic cotton threads. 
They've got super softness. They get softer every time you wash them. They're just the drape when you're laying down and stuff. They're not. They're just perfect sheets. I love them. Uh, I am effusive with my praise for Bull and Branch, and I'm delighted to have them as an advertiser. Look, they're made from the highest quality threads. They got superior softness. They got over twenty five thousand rave customer reviews and counting. I'm one of them. The quality you can tell is great. They hold up well after all the washes I've put them through, and they just get softer. It doesn't matter what the thread count is. The fiber sucks, and you can tell they put a lot of great detail into the fibers they use. And look, Bola Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're going to feel the difference. You're not going to want to send them back. The first 100% organic fair trade certified bedding company ever they used 90% less water than conventional production, zero press pesticides, other chemical, chemical, toxic chemicals. They don't use them. It's just fantastic. Listen, I'm effusive with my praise. I love Bull and Branch. Try them for yourself. And again, you get a 30-night risk-free trial, free shipping, returns on all orders. Try the sheets that will make you fall for the coziest night sleep in the season where you want cozy sheets. 15% off your first set of sheets. Free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Trust me, they're worth it. We've got five bedrooms, five beds, Bolin Branch sheets on every bed. Welcome back. I didn't give you the phone number out of the start of the show because there was so much going on, uh, but the phone number is 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. Actually, I guess I did. I just did it really fast. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I have a special announcement for all of you. You know, next August we're going to resume our annual conference. Everyone from the every zip code listening around the nation can come to Atlanta and meet all the people running for president probably in 2024 on the GOP side. We've invited uh, Pence and DeSantis and Tim Scott and Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz, and we'll have Brian Kemp there and Bill Lee, the governor of Tennessee, uh, and Nikki Haley. I want to get them all there, Um, and you are more than welcome to come. It'll be in August, uh, I think, 17th through the 19th of next year in Atlanta. We'll have... Uh, if, if you're a paid subscriber to the email, you'll be able to get there, uh, get seats first at a discount. You can text uh, show to 33777 and subscribe if you want. But in the run-up to it, I've been wanting to do a series of events with local listening audiences. I'm going to go to Orlando to our affiliate WDBO in November. Uh, but the week before that, I'm going to kick it off in Kennesaw, Georgia. There is a gun club in Georgia called the Governor's Gun Club, and they have, I think it is the largest indoor skeet shooting facility in America. They also have an amazing bourbon collection. I thought, what better than go to a range, sample some bourbons, and talk politics? October 28th from 5 to 9 p.m., you can join me at the Governor's Gun Club in Kennesaw, Georgia, All of you, wherever you're listening, are more than welcome to come. Now, you're going to get a voucher. The lawyers don't want you drinking and shooting guns at the same time. So you can show up early and shoot guns or show up for the bourbon and get a voucher to come back later when you're sober to drink, uh, to shoot guns, not drink guns. Don't do that. That would be bad. 
But you can hang out with me. I'm going to have Rich McCormick there with me. He is going to go to Congress. His district is uh, one of the districts drawn for the GOP. Fantastic guy, dear friend, great Marine and emergency room doc. He's going to be there with me. Um, Cody Hall from Brian Kemp's campaign is going to be there to talk about the end of the campaign as we head to the general election. Going to have some other people there with me to talk politics and take your questions, hang out with you, have food, uh, have some great bourbons, uh, enjoy the night together. What you do is you text the word bourbon, text the word bourbon to 33777, or you can go to bourbonontherange.com. If you text bourbon to 33777, I'll send you the link. Uh, you're all welcome. It'll be October 28th from 5 to 9 p.m. Come to the Governor's Gun Club in Kennesaw, Georgia. Hang out with me, sample some bourbons, talk politics. I'll answer your questions. We'll get some time together. We'll start doing these around the country with some of our affiliates. And I'm excited to get this one started. Text bourbon to 33777. Hello there and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. Should you wish to be a part of the program, happy to have you. We must talk about Ukraine. Haven't talked a lot about it. There is a growing and real concern that Russia might use a low yield nuclear weapon in Ukraine. Um, Russia has uh, tactical nuclear weapons uh, that are low yield that it uses in the field, landmines that have a nuclear explosion that'll take out everybody around them, vaporize people immediately uh, at some distance. We're not talking about the big nuclear weapons that you and I learned about in school that freak everybody out, that wipe out cities. They they don't do that. Um, They're significant, but they're not uh, like what you and I would think of as a nuclear weapon. They're still bad, should not be used, and there is concern the Russians may use them as their grip on things in Ukraine starts to weaken. The American government has passed a continuing resolution through the Congress to continue to fund the government, and it advances billions more to fund Ukraine. I know a lot of people who are increasingly antagonistic towards us funding Ukraine, and I want to explain to you, not persuade you, but explain to you why I support it. The first thing you need to understand is that most of the money we're sending to Ukraine is actually going to Alabama and Texas, Ohio, Virginia, Georgia, Florida, Because the money we're sending Ukraine is money the Ukrainians then send back to us to purchase our weapon systems. We're essentially funding American manufacturing in the defense industry with this money. We are creating American jobs with this money. We are, it's, uh, you want America first? This is definitionally America first. We're allowing the Ukrainians to fight the Russians so we don't have to and use our money to send it back to us to buy our weapons built by Americans in American cities to fight a war we don't want to fight ourselves. America first, yes. It's a Lend-Lease program by and large as well. So the money we're sending to Ukraine, this is this is kind of, it's kind of an ingenious scheme and it doesn't get talked about a lot. 
We're sending Ukraine money, most of it in a lend-lease program, meaning we lend Ukraine money. They then lease from us weapon systems or buy the ones that can't be returned. And then they have to pay us back the money. They, they essentially, so we give them the money. They turn around and send the money back to us to get our weapon systems. And then they got to pay us back all the money later. And if they become part of the European Union, the European Union then it takes over some of those debt obligations. And so we get our money back and we create American jobs building weapon systems. Now, when the war first started, there was a legitimate concern that we were sending a bunch of weapon systems to Ukraine, leaving ourselves with a supply gap. And that if something happened abroad and we needed the weapons, we wouldn't have them because Ukraine had them. But we have funded the arsenal of democracy now which is going full steam ahead, remaking, rebuilding, and expanding the arsenal so that we can both have them for ourselves and give them to Ukraine. I think that's a good idea. Here's my problem, and this is why I I support funding Ukraine. There is this isolationist idea that if we just sit back, let the world be as the world wishes to be, leave it to its own devices, that we'll be fine we'll be taken care of, and we'll be able to take care of ourselves. Every time the isolationist sentiment dominates, we go into a world war. The reason is because there are major countries that wish to lead. And if those countries lead, they prioritize their country first. So instead of America first, it becomes China first or Russia first or Iran first or you pick the country first. So either we lead and it is America first or they lead and it's them first. And if it's China leading, China's values will dominate most of the globe. Chinese money will fund most of the globe. China will prioritize itself around the world. So if we sit back as an isolationist and allow China to spread around the world, we get more authoritarianism, less democracy. The dollar becomes devalued against China's currency. The Chinese currency becomes the dominant currency on the planet, which drives up our interest rates more than they otherwise would be because the dominant country tends to get the best rates. This is just the reality we're dealing with. You can be isolationist. You can want to be isolationist. But you need to understand that in isolating the United States from the rest of the world, you are ceding the rest of the world to countries that are far worse than our own. And you can say, we have so many priorities here. We must deal with our priorities here. So how are we structuring the Ukrainian situation? We're sending them money that they then send back to us. We create jobs with that money. And the Ukrainians then still have to pay us back that money again. We get it twice. It's a good situation for us. We're going to wind up having to engage with Russia if we don't do this. There is this wild misunderstanding in the West about Vladimir Putin and Russia. There's this growing idea, particularly on the right, that somehow uh, Russia can be welcomed into the fold in the West. Russia doesn't want to be welcomed into the fold of the West. Russia has always viewed itself as dominant to the West. Vladimir Putin wants to rebuild not the Soviet Union, but the Russian Empire. 
and he wants a Russian sphere of influence. He doesn't want to be part of a Western sphere of influence. He wants to dominate his own sphere of influence. And some of the countries he wants in that sphere of influence are NATO allies. And we will either go to war with Russia when he invades these NATO allies, or we will break our word. And the moment we break our word to our NATO allies is the moment America's run and leadership of the world is over. And for those of you who think that's a good thing, you have the luxury of believing something that should not and probably will not happen. So you can never be falsified and never proven wrong. But I assure you, if it happened, it would be a very bad day for the entire world when the United States fully breaks its promises, breaks up NATO, and surrenders its leadership on the world stage to China and Russia. Our interest rates will go up, the cost of living will go up, our expenses will go up, everything about our way of life will go up, except our democratic values, which will be in decline as China and Russia dominate around the world. We're going to engage at some point with Russia. The question is, do we engage by proxy with the Ukrainian fighters fighting for their homeland using our weapons, or do we engage directly defending one of our allies, the Baltics, Poland, Germany, one of those? We will engage. You have the luxury of saying we shouldn't and we won't, except you and I both know, you deep down, me right at the surface, no, that's not going to happen. We'll keep our word. The Russians are beginning slowly to ally with the Iranians and the Chinese. They're forming an axis of evil all their own. If we allow the Ukrainians to use our money, to buy our weapons, to fight a war we don't have to fight ourselves and weaken the Russian state and maybe topple Vladimir Putin, that's a good thing that is in our interest. What is notable is what's happening at Russia. Uh, the Institute for the Study of War regularly chronicles the goings-on in Ukraine. It chronicles where the movement is in Ukraine. In the eastern part of Ukraine, the Ukrainians are surging, which is why there's a fear the Russians will begin to use nuclear weapons there, is because the Ukrainians are starting to take back land Vladimir Putin just annexed into Russia. They have uh, The Russians have called up a bunch of soldiers out of reserves. Uh, the number of men trying to flee Russia right now is staggering. What is notable is that opinion in Russia appears to be turning negative on the war. This is from the uh, Institute for the Study of War. The Russian defeat in Kharkiv, Oblast, and Lyman, combined with the Kremlin's failure to conduct partial mobilization effectively and fairly, are fundamentally changing the Russian information space. Kremlin-sponsored media and Russian mill bloggers, a prominent telegram community composed of Russian war correspondents, former proxy officials, and nationalists, are grieving the loss of Lyman while simultaneously criticizing the bureaucratic failures of the partial mobilization. Kremlin sources and mill bloggers are attributing the defeat around Lyman and Kharkiv Oblast to Russian military failures to properly supply and reinforce Russian forces in northern Donbas and complaining about the lack of transparency regarding the progress of the war. Some guests on heavily edited Kremlin television programs that aired on October 1st even criticized Vladimir Putin's decision to annex four Ukrainian provinces before securing their administrative borders or even the front line, expressing doubts about Russia's ability ever to occupy the entirety of these territories. 
Kremlin propagandists no longer conceal their disappointment in the conduct of the partial mobilization, frequently discussing the illegal immobilization of some men and noting issues such as alcoholism among newly mobilized forces. Some, speaking on live television, have expressed the concern that mobilization will not generate the force necessary to regain the initiative on the battlefield given the poor quality of Russian reserves. Now, what's so notable here is you're starting to have disagreement aired on Russian television stations and in uh, Russian nationalist channels. They are upset with the bureaucracy. They are upset with the handling of the war. Some of them are beginning to complain about Putin. That may encourage Putin to take drastic action. But I'm not sure he can stay in power. Let me read you one more paragraph here. Putin relies on controlling the information space in Russia to safeguard his regime much more than on the kind of massive oppression apparatus the Soviet Union used, making disorder in the information space potentially even more dangerous to Putin than it was to the Soviets. Putin has never rebuilt the internal repression apparatus the Soviets had in the KGB, Interior Ministry Forces, and Red Army to the scale required to crush domestic opposition by force. Putin has not until recently even imposed the kinds of extreme censorship that characterized the Soviet state. Russians have long had nearly free access to the internet, social media, and virtual private networks, and Putin has notably refrained from blocking Telegram, even though the platform refused his demands to censor its content, and even as he has disrupted his people's access to other platforms. The Russian information space has instead relied on journalists and TV talk show hosts to enforce coerced self-censorship, especially after the Kremlin adopted a law that threatens Russians with up to 15 years in jail for discrediting the army. The criticism on Russian federal TV channels of military failings and failings of the partial mobilization effort, especially following the defeat at Lyman, is thus daring and highly unusual for the Kremlin's propaganda shows. It's brought the tone and tenor of some of the mill blogger critiques of Russia's performance in the war into the homes of average Russians, though official Kremlin channels through official Kremlin channels for the first time. This is a problem for the Russian regime. The Ukrainians are making progress, and they're making progress using our weapon systems, taking the money we send them to turn around and send it to American states, to cities where Americans work, to buy our weapon systems. And then the Ukrainians use those weapon systems to kill Russian soldiers who are in Ukraine so that we don't have to do it with those same soldiers in Poland or Germany or Latvia or Lithuania or Estonia or so many other of these NATO allies, we will defend, we will support, we will not walk away from. It's a sound public policy, and I get why some people don't like it. I understand, but don't agree with the isolation of sentiment. The one that I struggled to understand are the pro-Russian elements that are cropping up in parts. Uh, some, I'm sure, paid for trolls by the Kremlin, but some of them seemingly supportive of Putin because he takes on the wokes or something. These are the most ignorant people who have no real understanding of Russia and its operations. Uh, the Russians have never been our friends. Vladimir Putin used to be a KGB operative. We should not be rooting for the Russians. And if you are on the side of Russia, I suspect there's something broken in your head, your heart, or both. The Russians are not our allies. They aren't our friends. They don't wish to be. They wish to dominate. And as long as we're not fighting them directly but funding the proxy war of the Ukrainians, I'm totally fine with that and really think most people are 
and you probably should be. One of the groups that's funding the first responders in this country and the veterans and the Second Amendment groups and the pro-life groups is Patriot Mobile. You could take your business to Patriot Mobile if you want, and you could become one of their customers and then grow their profits. And then they turn their profits around and give it to all the causes you care about. All you got to do is go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You take your business to Patriot Mobile. You get free activation with my name and you get guaranteed great service. Why? Because they use the same cell towers all the other big companies use. So you go to PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them. 972-PATRIOT is their phone number, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you get free activation. They also give you unbelievable discounts as well. You can save some money by going to Patriot Mobile, and you get great service. Not only that, you're doing business with a company that shares your values, explicitly so. They're Christian conservatives. They give you guaranteed great service for your cell phone. They give you data. They give you 5G. They give you voice. You can go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric and see their detailed map down to your house to see the quality of coverage. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. Definitely consider texting the word SHOW to 33777. I'm going to be sending out some more info on the uh, bourbon event at the Governor's Gun Club in Kennesaw, Georgia. Really would love to get you all to come. You can text the word BOURBON to 33777 to be a part of that event. But also, uh, text SHOW. To 33777, you can get the email link at the bottom. You'll get the live stream links, the podcast links, lots of information if you text show to 33777. So a movie came out this weekend. Uh, it bros. There's a an actor, Billy Eichner. He produced this romantic comedy, Bros. It's a, a gay comedy. Gay romantic comedy, the very first one produced by a major Hollywood studio. It opened to $4.8 million. It did not perform anywhere well in the South or most of Middle America. Uh, it had a dismal weekend at the box office. And uh, you will note that it's homophobia. It's homophobia. That's the excuse Billy Eichner is saying. Now, you should note as well that uh, he has said he didn't want anyone in Trump-supporting states to watch his movie, uh, even uh, gay Republicans didn't want him to watch it. Well, now uh, he's out there tweeting, everyone who isn't a homophobic weirdo should go see Bros. You will have a blast, and it is special and uniquely powerful to see this particular story on a big screen, especially for queer folks who don't get this opportunity often. I love this movie so much. Go bros. Um, so people don't go see the movie, so they're bad. This is kind of a, a phenomenon that Hollywood has these days. Uh, people didn't go see the bros movie. It's not that the movie sucks. It's that people are homophobic. Uh, the Ghostbusters reboot that with all the women, it's not that the movie sucks. It's that the people are misogynistic and all the haters hated it. And that was wrong. No, the movie was trash. This movie is not a good movie. It got poor reviews. It has nothing to do with it being a gay romantic comedy. It's bombing at the box office, not because of bigots, but because the movie sucks. And they would prefer you to believe it's the bigots. It's always your fault. 
It's never the fault of the people who produce the garbage. It's probably also going to kill other attempts to produce garbage like this in the future. And that's why they're screaming about homophobia, because they've undermined a cause they cared about by producing a crap movie.